You're listening to the Film Marketing Academy podcast, the audio series dedicated to helping filmmakers create better film marketing campaigns faster. Join your host, Pascal Fintoni, for what promises to be an exciting and intriguing voyage of discovery filled with advice, stories, and film marketing ideas. Thank you for tuning in. And now, on with today's episode of the Film Marketing Academy podcast. Well, Pascal, I've been looking forward so much to discussing this next film. In fact, we did we did mention it in passing in one of the earlier episodes of Two Geeks in a Marketing Podcast, and it is Back to the Future, which was the highest grossing movie from 1985. Now, Back to the Future is probably one of my all-time favourite films. It's a it's it's got good comedy, it's got good action, there's a bit of romance in it, there's science fiction, fantasy, and and the time travel element. I I love movies that have an element of time travel in them anyway. So things like Terminator, uh, the Day of the Daleks episodes of Doctor Who all have those time paradoxes. But but Back to the Future just brought it all together into one just superb amazingly entertaining package and I still can't believe that this film is 35 years old coming up because if you watch it today and and I have to say we tend to watch it most Christmas mornings it just feels like that sort of film to watch on Christmas morning it's as fresh as it was when it was first made Pascal absolutely yeah like you we have a ritual um I would say it's once a year at no particular time of the year but we watch the actual trilogy I've got the uh, DVD now Blu-ray box set I just buy it um for me it's kind of proudly on the shelf alongside Star Wars and many others and you're right I think it was a surprise hit. The um, it was almost approached like an indie movie. Uh, you had uh, Robert Zemeckis and Bob Gale wrote it. Uh, it was um, directed by Robert Zemeckis against the wishes of the studios at the time. But uh, we need to be careful that it doesn't turn into a film review. <laughs> but actually, this is about film marketing. So, with that in mind, what I will say to you is my interest to discuss is how in 1985 you would have marketed a film without the internet. So we had the trailer. Of course, you had the official Back to the Future tour where fans could meet and discuss. You had the press kind of coverage, but also, I would argue, early version of influencer marketing because Robert Zemeckis and Bob Gale cleverly asked Steven Spielberg to be the exact producer. Now, mm. of course, he brought uh, with him, you know, his savvy in terms of filmmaking and so on, but I'm sure you had a big influence in the way in which he was made and marketed. I would also remind you, which is, I think, a lesson for all of us in this, in this virtual settings of audio and video, that Universal Studios were the distributors, but it was made independently by a group of people, including uh, Steven Spielberg. But the studios, when they actually got the movie f- finished print, they didn't know what it was. They said, well, what is it? Is it, is it a sci-fi movie, but there's not enough violence and, and spaceships? Is it a comedy, but it's not really laugh-out-loud comedy? Is it risque? Um, because back then you had a big drive around uh, things like uh, Revenge of the Nerds and, and you know, that <laughs> type of movies of boys chasing girls and so on. 
the studios didn't know how to market it as well. So the best they could come up with was, you know, the scene where, uh, well, it's actually a big segment of the movie where um, Marty McFly's mother kind of falls for him, creating yeah. and kind of secondary story about how he has to obviously uh, uh, make amends. So when it was first released, the, the strap line on the posters because Universal Studios thought, well, this is a comedy. Let's align it with the other comedies that we produced and launched. The strapline was, are you telling me my mother's got the hots for me? This was a strapline <laughs> for Back to the yeah. Future. Needless to say, that was quickly put to one side and removed with, with what we know now. But um, yeah, what what a success. I mean, look, you've got you know the, the story, you've got the car, you've got the songs, you've got the musical score, you've got this kind of uh, nostalgia of 1955 Americana, and so on and so forth. But when it comes to marketing, I was looking at an interview that Bob Gale gave for the 30th anniversary of Back to the Future when they did the box sets and so on. And he did say they were really nervous it was released in just a small number of cinemas, as they always do in July, kind of um, 1985. And by the second weekend, people were queuing up, very much like they did back in the days of Star Wars. And Bob Gale put it down to just word of mouth because they had nothing else. And it was until the movie became a success that the real marketing kind of machine um, kicked in. And do you know what, Pascal? I was at university in 1985, and I remember it was just everybody was talking about Back to the Future. Everybody wanted to go and see it. It had such a buzz about it, even though it we didn't have digital, we didn't have the internet. Now, I was at university, as I said, and I remember there being there was posters up in the university union uh, saying, let's go to the cinema in groups to see this film. So they were, I suppose that was an early equivalent of a watch party, wasn't it? <laughs> um, and and the, I always used to, very close to Leeds University, there was a, one of the early Forbidden Planet shops. And, and of course they had the posters up for weeks and weeks before. And I remember it being on in the comics that I was reading at the time, 2000 AD and stuff like that. So for somehow, even in those days, they managed to create a massive amount of anticipation around this film so that you were absolutely desperate to go and see it. And, and as you say, when you actually did go to the cinema, they were queuing around the corner. They were queuing around the corner. So I think it was just, just a remarkable piece of marketing for it, the It day. was. And, and you think about it, it had its own... Um artwork, the typography or Back to the Future is very, very unique, you know, the photography and so on and so forth. But I think there, there were some iconic um, images that stayed with you, you know, the car, the um, everything else that, that, that kind of comes in, the way in which Martin McFly was dressed, Doc Brown, and the way he, he, he acted. I mean, I just love, you know, the, the, his performance. Everything was just carefully, carefully crafted. And again, because of uh, Bob Gale and Robert Zemeckis coming from an independent kind of production and they just knew how to pay attention to those uh, the small details and here we are 35 years later talking about it and what is interesting about the Back to the Future kind of brand now and, and what it signifies is how that it's been taken over by well we know that um, there's a, a musical, a stage show, um, Back mm-hmm. to the Future. They did have an attempt at a animated series in the, in the early 90s. 
with uh, the actors, you know, kind of doing the, the voiceover. But then countless reference in TVs and, and movies of today, where there's always little nod you know, to, to, to that to that movie. But what is fascinating, and again, it could be another lesson for all content creators out there, is that the script, which wasn't really changed, you know, by the time they finished the, the, the film, the script was rejected 44 times, <laughs> including Walt Disney Studios, who thought it was too risque, whereas um, Universal Studios thought it wasn't risque enough. And it was just that. And back to Robert Zemeckis and Bob Gale, they didn't change the, the, the script. They, didn't, they believed in the product and story so much that they continued and continued. And I think perseverance is also part of what you need to think about as a content creator. But also when something's a little different, you will get pushbacks because you don't, you don't fit in. You know, Walt Disney, Universal could not make it fit like the other movies that they knew how to market. Absolutely right. And do you know what? We were talking earlier on about marketing slogans and strap lines. You know, so much of the dialogue in Back to the Future is is quotable. And people remember that. Great Scott. Oh, my God, Doc, this is heavy. Uh, <laughs> 2.21 gigawatts, or is it 1.21 it gigawatts? 1. I can't remember. Yes. You know, the flux capacitor. <laughs> All of these things, they're part of our everyday language. And another thing I love about Back to the Future is that over the years as well, stuff's trickled out. Like, you know, they shot more or less the entire movie with a different actor. Eric Stoltz. And, and unfortunately, Eric is a phenomenally good character actor, but he didn't really have the comedic timing mm. that they wanted for Back to the Future. So they reshot the whole thing with Michael J. Fox. Now, can you imagine doing that, you know, effectively making the film twice? But that was the conviction that they had, that it had to have that certain combination of, of scripting and actors and, 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 and all those memes that we've come to know. And, and the other thing, of course, now is that there's loads of outtakes that you can find on the internet, some of which they deliberately created. There's one I, I see where, where Marty is dressed up as a, as a sort of um, drug-dealing gangster, wandering around, the, wandering around the school, peering through the doors. You know, they, they, they actually orchestrated that, potentially with the just knowing that one day they could let these things drizzle out into into internet land and, and, and effectively keep the brand going. If we think back about the creation of, of the film and high links to, to market, which is take position, create a language, create a visual language, take some risk and, and believe in yourself. So, for example, rule number one, if you remember, we can only watch it every Christmas, there is no opening credits. Mm-hmm. The movie starts mm -hmm. pretty much inside Doc Brown's uh, houses. We, we assume with all the clocks and so on. Whereas normally you would have the music to kind of ra you know raise your emotions and, and get you excited. You would have the names and so on. And so, on. so again, this back to this idea of yes, there is a, a way and a format that is accepted right now out there. But if you come up with a, an idea, it doesn't have to be better. But if it's an idea that you you feel that like you want to explore fully. Take that risk. Many have taken risks before you, and it's really paid off. And I do think that that's why one of the reasons why this film is successful is not because they listen to Universal, not because they listen to Walt Disney, but because the creators, the storytellers, just knew that they had something. And with patience, as well as you know, good and kind of skill set, they got what they wanted. 
Absolutely. And again, I don't know whether it was planned, but you know, when they made the second film, Back to the Future 2, and part of that was set in 2015. <laughs> uh, and, and of course, we've been and gone past 2015. And there was another marketing opportunity for the studio to effectively relaunch the Blu-ray and DVD. And obviously the, the, um, the amazing thing to compare the predictions that they made for things like hoverboards and, and uh, you know, self-closing jackets and self-closing uh, training shoes. That was a great opportunity for people to compare what Back to the Future predicted with the reality that it turned out to be. And I think that quite a lot of the things that they predicted did come to pass, apart from the hoverboards, unfortunately. That was the biggest disappointment, but you're right. Yeah. In 21st of October 2015, I, I, I don't know of anyone that didn't actually jump on the Back to the Future day. From Bing Brands to vloggers and bloggers and fans of the film, I even have uh, someone that I know in Durham who was dressed as Marty McFly and was doing um, kind of selfies and, and kind of walking around Durham and so on. The for us, you know, one of the reasons we wanted to um, mention uh, Back to the Future as part of, of this podcast is back to film marketing. What are the lessons that we can learn? But also, more importantly, what are the lessons we can learn from films before the internet? Because I think there's a convenience factor with the internet where people can quickly come up with, well, this is the plan because that's what we're going to do online. When you release a film in 1985 and you're not sure it's going to work, what else is available to you? And it begins, I think, with, with a strong product. So the crafting of Back to the Future from the way it looks and sounded, and I, I'll take you back to a comment I made earlier about the calligraphy of the title, and the photography mm. style, and the language that you pointed out so that it was a unique film. Nobody else wrote the script the way it was written. Nobody said those words before and, and since, apart from out of respect in TV series like Big Bang, Big Bang Theory and, and, and the likes. Uh, you start with a strong product, start with a strong offer, and then once you surround yourself with the right people, I think that was also what was important to think about it. They tried the studios, didn't quite work. So I tell you what, then studios, you'll do your bit as a distributor. You, you'll just pass on. But we're going to surround ourselves with the right people. Um, I think the key appointment uh, on the board, so to speak, of the steering group was Steven Spielberg, who was doing rather well already then back in the mid-80s. But even himself was still at heart an indie filmmaker and producer. This has been such a great conversation, <laughs> Pascal. And I know that unless I put a stop to this, we could carry on talking about Back to the Future for the rest of the afternoon. So I think I'm going to have to quote Biff Tannen to bring this segment to a close. I think we need to make like a tree and get out of here. Or is it make like a tree and leave? I can never remember which. <laughs> Thank you so much for watching this episode of Two Geeks in a Marketing Podcast. We'd be delighted if you'd subscribe to the show, leave comments or suggestions in all the places that you watch and listen to your podcasts. Until next time, go out there and make sure your marketing is done right. I was Roger Edwards and he was Pascal Fintoni.
Thank you for listening to the Film Marketing Academy podcast, the audio series dedicated to helping filmmakers create better film marketing campaigns faster. For more information about our film marketing consultancy and training services, go to filmmarketingacademy.com and book your free discovery video call. And if you haven't already, don't forget to subscribe and follow your host on social media for more updates.